Hey, man, welcome. I can read your sign language here. Today, I'm actually in the same room, right? <laughs> I was trying to be all fancy with the with the hand countdown, but our listeners... Did not see it. Won't appreciate it. You won't see it. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome. How you doing? Good. Today's Monday, December 20th, and we're back together. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It is. Unless you're the Utah Coronavirus Task Force, then you write a tweet that says it's beginning to look a lot like COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's getting depressing. <laughs> it is. Like which what? Is, this again? Which is why I think we're going to try to avoid all that today, right? Well, we, we, we can talk a little bit about... Let's get, let's get this, some of this out of your system. We got we to gotta talk about a few out of my news points. But... Uh, for the listener's sake, I think our, our hope is, our intention is, and uh, you know what they say about good intentions, Yeah, we are uh, planning to do a bit of a Christmas show today. Yeah. We, we did a, what would you call, a modicum, not even a modicum, a uh, sliver of research <laughs> I don't, and, dis- I, and discussion you, and planning beforehand. You, you might have done some research. I perused some of your notes from your research. Okay. So it's but the the it's a really cool kind of take or angle on on the Christmas story that we hope to get into here. But yeah, well, why don't we get if, a if anything bit. we if anything we we hope to at least give you some new ideas to chew on yeah. at the Mind Virus show. And so today we will attempt to have a little bit of fun with the Christmas story. And not hopefully, the, by the way, not. The movie. Not the movie, The Christmas Story. The <laughs> right. The actual story of Christmas. But The Christmas Story movie is probably the greatest Christmas movie ever made. That is possibly a true statement. I, I, I'm just trying to think of a better Christmas Story movie. Let me tell you why. And I let cannot. Me, let me tell and you so why. So therefore, that statement stands for now. <laughs> let me tell you why. I think that's, it's the best one. And there's some really good Christmas movies out there. No, that one's so good. <laughs> but this one, I'm just looking up the facts of the movie here, the dates and all that. But the reason I think it's awesome is that Ralphie, right? That's the main character. So it, this movie was made in 1983. Ralphie wants, what does he want for Christmas? Everybody knows what he wants. The for Red Rider BB gun. He wants a Red Rider, ri- uh, Red Rider BB gun. And so he goes through all of the traditional methods to try to get it. He asks Santa. Santa says, you'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> he asks mom. Mom's not into it. He asks his school teacher through, a, you know, through a, a, an assignment, a theme. And he gets a C on it. Plus she writes, you'll shoot your eye out. And everybody's conspiring against him. And then Christmas morning comes. Spoilers. This movie's 40 years old, by the way. Yes, if you if we can't talk freely about the Christmas story <laughs> movie. If you've never seen it, TBS plays it for 24 hours straight from I think noon on Christmas Eve to noon on Christmas Day. At least they they've been doing that. 
Anyway. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you said it was the greatest uh, Christmas movie ever. And um, this is a 1983 movie. Mm-hmm. It has a 7.0. Nine on IMDb, a deserved almost an eight on IMDb. Because you know how I don't know if you guys go out there and check IMDb before watching a movie. I have a friend. I, I think he, uh, he. I don't know if he'll remember saying this, but uh, he listens to the podcast, so he'll probably hear this comment. But he said, "I think the 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 cutoff point is five. If it's lower than five, you don't want to watch it." And we both <laughs> went with our wives to a movie one time called Skyline, which has kind of become a cult classic. But let's see, what does Skyline get? Um, it gets a 4.4 and a deserved 4.4. <laughs> it was terrible. There's, there, there's a lot <laughs> we of were wondering really, why we went into that theater. There's a lot of really bad movies. You know, I, we, we talked a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons last week. And, and I mentioned that we... That I played, played well with the younger audience, <laughs> by the way. I mentioned that I play D&D once in a while online with some friends. Well, those same friends, sometimes we have a bad movie night. My son wants an invite. Okay. Right. <laughs> sometimes we have a, a bad movie night where one of them... One of the people, because again, we're all remote from each other, different parts of the country. So one of them will stream uh, a, a bad movie and we'll all watch it and laugh at it. Sort of a real life version of like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay, but The Christmas Story stars Peter Billingsley as Ralphie. He wants this Red Rider BB gun. He goes through mom, teacher, Santa, everyone's shutting him down. <coughs> Christmas morning arrives, he opens his presents, it's cool and all, except for the bunny suit. And then there's that period that we all experience every Christmas morning when all the hype and the excitement's over, the presents are open, and it's sort of like, oh. And Ralphie's dad says, did you get everything you wanted? He's like, ah, almost. He's, He's like, not like too upset. He's feeling yeah, I mean, resigned. It's Christmas. To, he's feeling know, resigned he, to his fate. He got some cool stuff, but he's... You know, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Yeah. And then, of course, who's the hero of the story? Dad. Dad. <laughs> and there's it, something behind the couch over I've there, buddy. I love that it was dad all along because his dad is kind of a cartoon character. He oh, swears he's great. A lot. He, yeah. He, no, but he's perfect. But he's great. He, he goes to work and he works with buffoons. The, se- the <laughs> scene when they, uh, oh, he's awesome. There's two scenes that are just so More besides like the, besides Chicago the, chipmunks and uh, chair of the midway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, he's just great all the way throughout. Just some of the scenes that I love about the dad, especially the part when the the gift comes out. But the the one when he's changing the tire, time time me. Yeah, and people don't realize it was more common to have to change tires back in the day because they didn't have as good a tire technology. Yeah, fuses. Yeah, you had to be a little more handy. When he wins the lamp, though, it's a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful story. It's oh, just, that one, that one's the ca- the caricature right there. Maybe it's a bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I lo- I love the fact that Dad is the is the hero of the story, and Dad comes through, and of course Ralphie shoots his eye out or nearly does. But yeah. every kid should have at some point a Red Rider BB gun because it's a rite of passage and everybody every kid should have that experience. Okay, so yeah, that's not the Christmas story we're going to talk about today. No, and we'll get to that in a minute. We got to go through the the standard sound bites user user comments. By the way, we enjoy the user comments. Thank you for commenting, you three wonderful commenters or four. 
uh, I did get another comment via text this morning that I'm going to talk about, which may or may not have been intended for the podcast, but this guy listens to the podcast, okay. so we'll throw that out there. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, 1946, mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart. Right. That That's not better than... It's a different category. You called A Christmas Story the, the best, the greatest of all time, the GOAT. I got to say, I, I kind of think I might have to disagree because after having thought about it well, and had this occur to me that, that, yeah, it's, it's a different category. It's more of a heart, a, what do they call those? Tear jerkers, heart wrenchers. Yeah, sure. Th- this is a, it's more of a chick flick. Yeah. But and it's but it's the classic. It's like the benchmark. It's the uh, yeah. It's like it's the foundational it's, it's like Christmas it's, movie. It's like saying it's kind of just trying to compare Albert Pujols to Joe DiMaggio. How about Michelangelo's David to your kids' reflections contest entry? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what what you're. I'm still talking when I'm talking about Albert Pujols. I'm talking about the Christmas Story. He's a baseball player. Pujols's Pujols, yeah, and Joe DiMaggio is. A, I figured a since life. I know that Joe DiMaggio is a, <laughs> a baseball player, so I assume the fact that I knew about the one and not the other is. Uh, it's it's it is you're you're right. One, it's a Wonderful Life is is the classic benchmark Christmas film, and also there's others too, like Elf. Elf was a more recent Oh, yeah, entry. yeah. Elf okay, Elf, good. Elf, okay. Oh, I got to look up Elf here and see what it scored just for Elf is very, comparison. very good. 2003, Will Ferrell, James Caan. Well, Elf is 2003? Yeah, wow. it's, a, okay, and A Christmas Story is 1983. Uh, it scores seven, so it's not quite as highly ranked yeah, as... That's, that's low. Elf is an 8.5. Elf is really good. But I think I think part of it too is, is the what, what these movies bring with them. A Christmas Story, uh, It's a Wonderful Life have a certain amount of nostalgia and tradition attached to them. It's yeah. like people watch them, even if they don't necessarily love them, they watch them at Christmas time because that's what we do at Christmas time. Well, It's a Wonderful Life didn't have that to start with, but it it right. gains uh, momentum in the in the VCR age. And then, of course, Cable Age, yeah, because at the time it was just shown in movie theaters. Cable has prolonged the life of Christmas Story, too, because like I said, I think it's TBS plays it for 24 hours straight. Yeah. And so I'll usually see it every Christmas out of order and in snippets because we'll Mm -hmm. flip over or something and and everyone groans, no, we already saw this They don't say, you'll shoot your eye out. (laughs) Oh, man. No, I think, uh, yeah, okay, so in their own right, we have the the three wise men of the Christmas movie trifecta here, which is ranked first, It's a Wonderful Life, second, Christmas Story, and third, Elf, or vice versa. That's my ranking. By the way, wise men get boosted. Oh gosh! Oh, it took me. It took me a minute. I, I'm glad it took me a second That's to realize that you were referring to a photo that you sent to me from the Utah coronavirus propaganda effort. Yeah, which was that uh, they had an "I was vaccinated" sticker on wise men from Basically, the nativity. They're saying wise men, wise men, 
wise men get their booster shots, which is sacrilegious. I'm looking at a Christmas movie list. There's some good ones here. Christmas Vacation is a classic. Yeah, but that's not in the nowhere. Sorry, uh, Chevy Chase. <laughs> It's, it's hilarious. A, it's a different kind. It's hilarious. It's just not in the category of best of all time. Uh, Home Alone is on there. Home Alone's a great movie. Still not I wouldn't, the greatest. But it's almost not. It's sort of not a Christmas movie. Why is Elf better than Home Alone? Well, Elf has a better story. Why? Well, first of all, Elf... In Elf, his parents don't hate him and aren't criminally insane. His parents don't hate him in <laughs> Home Alone. Yes, they do. That family is the worst family in cinema history, save for maybe the mom. That dad is horrible. Those uncles and cousins, they are horrible. They are sociopathic, terrible, terrible people. Okay, explain. They, okay, they leave the kid at home accidentally. Okay, but that's, the pr that's what makes movies... <laughs> Most movies are based on something that is unlikely. No, I, I know that is like I'm a not, worst case scenario not, happening. That's In fact, that's what <laughs> most most sitcoms. This is why I hate sitcoms is because the the worst possible thing happens. You know it's going to happen. They set it up to happen and they let it happen. And you're like, how could that ever happen? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criticizing Home Alone for its goofy premise. Right? Maybe the. You did call the family sociopaths and the worst ever. They are okay. <laughs> Okay, in the beginning of the movie, they every the, the whole setup is every member of the family insulting him. Kevin is his name, Kevin. right? Yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Right. Okay, I gotta look this and up. And then so somehow, get the link on somehow, here. The, his dad, who that actor recently passed away, I can't remember his name, but the dad <coughs> is some is paying for the entire extended family to go to France. The dad clearly has tons of money. There's a whole YouTube video uh, somewhere out there about how he probably got his money through nefarious means. John Hurd. <laughs> and they present evidence. As Peter, the father. He died? Yeah, I think so. The mom is played by Catherine O'Hare. Of course, you've got Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, the bungling burglars. Yep, Harry and Marv. Harry and Marv. Home Alone ranks 7.6 on IMDb. So anyway, they get to Paris, right? And the family, what is the family worried about? What are they 1990, upset about? by the way. What are they upset about? They're upset about that their vacation is going to be interrupted. Not that they left a kid at home <laughs> alone. The mom is upset because the, the mom kid's is home the alone. only one. The only one right, that shows you, any concern. Okay, so that is quite uh, cartoony. If, if you think about it, it makes for good cinema. Oh, yeah. The movie's great. And there's some really cool symbolism in, since we're going to talk about symbolism today, there's some really cool symbol symbolism in Home Alone, particularly with the shovel-wielding neighbor. You ever notice that? No, uh-uh. Explain it to me. You, do you remember that character? He's kind of mysterious, and Kevin's afraid of him. He oh, you mean the guy that he is lives always alone. out with the? Uh, he's always salting his driveway. The yeah. old guy. Yeah, and and yeah. and and I think one of the cousins or his brother was like, you know, he's got bodies, dead bodies. The yeah, they, Kevin's afraid of him and runs away from him at one. His point. His name's Marley. Robert's Blossom. Well, he. There's a scene where his hand is bleeding. His palm is bleeding, and he has a bandage on it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a later scene where 
that neighbor saves saves Kevin, literally saves him, mm-hmm. bashes the Harry and Marv with the snow shovel. And so there's some <coughs> apologies for this uh, ongoing hack that is continuing to plague me. But there's some savior Christ-like imagery and symbolism with that character. Mm. Anyway, it's a good movie. Home Alone's great. I love when he sets up the party with the train yeah. and the Michael Jordan yeah. and the... Yeah, Rocking around the Christmas tree. Da, 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 I, I've always da, thought da, it was amazing da, da. how somehow in between the time that Kevin defeats the burglars and his mom comes home in the morning, he gets the house spotless. I mean, that house was, was wrecked. So he, while the family is the most terrible of all people, Kevin apparently is a pretty good kid. Yeah, he very, you know, he very uh, uh, resourceful. He's uh, he's an, an amazing, almost magic level of cleaning ability, and the cutest ever, right? I mean, yeah, he was good back then. So, okay, Christmas stories um, number eighteen on this top sixty-five list that Rob of Christmas has. stories, yeah, of Christmas movies, yeah. There's a lot of movies on here. I don't. You're kidding me. Okay, I don't, what, what I are don't some think of, these of that... as Christmas movies like Little Women, Edward Scissorhands. Well, I didn't bring up Die Hard. Which is, of course, a right. Christmas movie. Um, Arthur Christmas at number 12. No, this list is trash. Is it, but it's made by Rotten Tomatoes or some Rotten Tomatoes user? No, rotten to, it's editorial.rottentomatoes.com. Because, see, you find a lot of best of lists out there made by regular unqualified Joes. And then you find them made by the critics who are also unqualified yeah, in a like lot of cases. Number 10 is Tangerine. I never even heard of that. No, uh uh-uh. So far in the top 10, I've never even heard of these. Okay, number six, The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a good one. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original cartoon, is number five. Okay, that's one we forgot that should probably rank. Well, there's all those. I don't really think of those as movies. These are 20-minute TV specials. Like, there's Frosty good and, point. and the Grinch. There's Rudolph. Oh, yeah, old, the old Rudolph. That, okay, yeah, those are in a different category. So, yeah, yeah, the Grinch probably ends up in that category. Holiday Inn at number three. My wife would agree with that. What's Holiday Inn about? Oh, Besides it's an old Christmas. movie from it's from 1942. Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire. There's lots yeah, you've of, got White Christmas and, and yeah, it's and in the, that White Miracle Christmas. on 34th Street. That one. It's in that White Christmas category. Yeah, Holiday but those Inn. As they go to this they go to this inn and they get snowed in. I think and there's lots of singing and dancing. It's Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Sure, sure, Marjorie sure. Marjorie Reynolds. Sure, Virginia but Dale. I mean, come on. It's a Wonderful Life versus those, right? Number one on the list is It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. So they at least got that. Second is the original 1947 Miracle on 34th Street. Okay. Now, I think the the remake of Miracle on 34th Street... Has that diluted the waters? (laughs) It was a pretty good remake. It's on here at... I saw it. Let me see if I can find it. But I thought that that was a decent remake. The funny thing, oh, Christmas, Where does Elf Christmas, rank? Christmas Carol number 29. Uh, Elf. Elf at number 26. See, Elf deserves to be way up there. Now, granted, admittedly, I haven't seen a lot of these movies. Some of these I've never even heard of. Well, the great thing about Elf is that it's about belief. Right. And I, I know it's about Santa Claus, but that's not necessarily such a bad thing, St. Nick, you know? Right. The legend. White Christmas who comes number to 41. Give gifts. Which one were we? Oh, that we were looking for the other Scrooge to number 52. 
see a, a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. Come on. Well, one of the things you realized at Christmas time, everybody's happy to turn on FM 100 and hear the Christmas music right there after Thanksgiving because, you know, Thanksgiving morphs right into Christmas. Some people start Christmas right after Halloween. Yeah. But after a few listens, you realize that it's the same songs getting uh, cycled over and over again. Right. And then people lose interest. And so I, I try to get, I was unsuccessful this year, but I, I try to get uh, my family to not decorate and not get all hyped up about it until about, you know, two weeks before Christmas. I like that because I don't think you get worn out. You, right. you don't get desensitized to it. But, but anyway, similarly to the idea that there's only so many Christmas songs out there, there's only so many Christmas movies. So if you have a list right. of the top 50, it's going to be probably most of them. The remake, Miracle on 34th Street from 1994, starring Richard Attenborough, Elizabeth Perkins, Dylan McDermott, and Mara Wilson... Uh, is ranked 64, so it just barely makes the list. How many movies are on this list? 65. Okay, the top 65. Yeah. Ranking the Christmas movies, all the Christmas movies ever made. Basically. <laughs> anyway, we're a little bit off track. Di- where does Die Hard rank on that list? It's, oh, dang it. I, I did not see it on there. Yippee-ki-yay. That's not, not gonna, the full quote. I'm not going to finish the <laughs> quote on our family-friendly G-rated podcast. G-rated. Yep, <laughs> probably. Well, okay, so what are what are some of the things that have been on your mind? I'm I'm going to tell you some of the listener comments from last time. Well, the last since we last recorded, there's been a lot of crazy like I I I I'm wondering if we're seeing like a death row. Like the, the death rattle voice yeah. of the coronavirus. Of the co- coronavirus hysteria. Um, the White House... <laughs> the, the White House put out an official statement. I sent it to you, right? At least the, that snippet. And, and our listeners have probably seen this, but I'm going to read it because it's, it's incredible. It makes, it makes Donald Trump look nuanced, thoughtful, and subtle. <laughs> like this... This statement is... Oh, yeah. We got to put this on the podcast page. You sent me a, a screenshot. So this is, this is from the... This is an official press release from whitehouse.gov. Like, it's, it's real. Just a, another movie reference. I hope you've all seen It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Because there's this great moment where they're talking about dividing up... How they're going to divide up the loot. And they can't, they can't figure out how to divide it up. Right, and so they the, they finally just decide it's every man for himself. And then one of the comedians, the the chubby one, I forget his name, he says to to the old mother in law, "Except for you, old lady, I hope that you just drop dead." <laughs> What's his name? Those comedians are hilarious. You remember that from It's a Bad, Mad, Mad, Mad World? It's been a long, long time since I've seen that one. And in fact, I don't even know if I've seen it all the way. Through. Guys, that's required watching for the Jordan Bruno Omniverse. I just want to throw oh, wait, that so out there. So now the Omniverse is named after the you? Omniversity. Well, the <laughs> Jordan Bruno section of the okay, Omniversity. Right, yeah, whatever. Okay. okay, yeah. That's why I said just me because <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to require it if it's you know <laughs> Professor Bruno said and, and Professor Flood's like yeah that's bullcrap. By the way, I'm Bobby Flood and that's Jordan Bruno. Across the table here. Yeah, who's the comedian I was talking about? Uh, Buddy Hackett. Except for you, lady. I hope that you just drop dead. (laughs) 
Well, that's about the level of that's it. that's why I bring it up. Yeah, that's what we're getting from our our <clears throat> leaders. Here's WhiteHouse.gov, and I think this statement Ethel went out. Merman, Miss Marcus, she was the one. I think this statement went out yesterday or the day before. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Except for you, lady. Yeah. I hope that what? you just drop dead. <laughs> now, let's break this down for just a second. First of all, Omicron, Omicron is disrupting work and school because people are letting it, right? Sports are shutting down and rescheduling. There's universities going back to online and remote. It's ridiculous and it's absurd. But for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. Now, that's just factually incorrect. There's lots and lots and lots of people that are unvaccinated that are still alive, that are just walking miracles. I think two of us are right here in this room. <laughs> We're still alive somehow. Well, there's but the a level of division and just the, 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 the vitriol. Imagine, um, let's play the imagine game. Imagine if Trump had, had put this statement out, right? Oh, yeah. It would be blowing the minds of the news media. Well, I'm going to link to an article off of Zero Hedge that uh, kind of encapsulates it. The title of it encapsulates it. It's Bill Blan, Blaine. Uh, morning Porridge. Yeah, Blaine is his name. They spelled it wrong. He says they on uh, on the Zero Hedge, they gave it a title. He says, is it just me or does Omicron sound like a common cold? <laughs> right. And it's it really because does. they're saying they're looking for, yeah, they're looking for the list of uh, symptoms to look for. Runny nose, headache, fatigue, sneezing, sore throat. Is it just me or does that sound like a common cold? Are you on uh, Zero Hedge right now? There's another really good article I'm always there. on Zero Hedge. There's another really good article on there about something, something, Plato's Cave. Did you see Oh, that yeah, one? how we're going to permanently put people in Plato's Cave. Yeah, I, I liked that one. We'll, we'll link to that I one haven't read well. that one yet. Uh, I read that last night when I should have been doing research on what we were going to talk about today. But No, I, it's okay, and we probably shouldn't say too much today. Like, there's... No, I think you get. You guys need to pay the price and go do all the research on this uh, esoteric <laughs> stuff because you know I can't just fire hose it at you. It won't mean anything. But that's about all that's been on my mind. Just this. There's a, a definitely an, an elevated sense of like panic out there, and you have all of these. Right. This is all uh, these vaccinated people. Matthew Ehert from the Strategic Culture Foundation. Locking the plebes into Plato's cave for the 21st century, right? As he describes Kloss's great narrative. But you've you've got all Good these va all these vaccinated people testing positive. I mean, you've got members of Congress who are triple vax testing positive, and there's just this like absurdity. The absurdity's gone into overdrive. It's like gone up to eleven. Well, and the news out of South Africa is that it's really not that bad. Right. It's pretty much Omicron is not that bad. It's contagious. But it's mild, and which is exactly what you would want, right? It's exactly what the common cold is. <laughs> That's why it's <clears throat> called common. SARS. That's why it's common. called SARS. Acute respiratory syndrome. 
Yeah, so uh, anyway, except for you, lady. You can drop You can dead. just drop dead. Um, we need more, by the way, we, we still need more predictions because we're going to have a predictions episode and we want user predictions. We, we have one, listener. we have registered one prediction I from Whitaker. That. Whitaker has done the podcast with me before and I think he will do it with us again in the future, I hope. Again, my apologies to those of you, nah, if, it's, if you're not really sincere, is it an apology? Um, those of you that uh, <laughs> those of you that uh, want to be on the podcast or enjoy that idea, someday I think we'll get to it. I just uh, Bobby and I, the way we live our lives, it's like, oh, it's Monday morning, time to record. Oh, it's Tuesday afternoon, it's time to put it up. I better get that done. <laughs> so sorry for our lack yeah. of planning. Uh, our Russian, our, our our general Russian specialist is visiting California. He said we attended church in Southern California. This is a text to me. Sorry, buddy, for putting this on the air. We attended a church in we attended church. That's the LDS church, by the way. Mm-hmm. In Southern California yesterday, interestingly, there were only about four people wearing masks. In our Utah ward, seventy-five percent wear masks. Not sure what Los Angeles County is like, but this was San Bernardino Bernardino County, which, if you're from there, they say San Bernardino. Okay. By the way, so See, it's the same but county. My LDS ward is like 80% unmasked. I told him that. I said... Uh, I think it varies. It, it even varies right here in the heart of all of this. Right. There's a ward every two blocks. Yeah. <clears throat> but California, my, that's, a, my that's a bit My ward is similar to your ward, and, uh, but I've heard my mom's ward, for example, is uh, like she's one of the few not wearing a mask. So it's like 90% right. reversed. So it's kind of strange how the narrative but sticks during, differently During in the different statewide places. mandate, the, uh, the local ward here that I go to was, I was the only unmasked face in the whole building during the mandate, the state mandate. Yeah. So they're... But as soon as that, that mandate people, lifted, members so of the LDS the Members of the LDS church are more... Adherent to the the law than they are to letters from the first presidency. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Apparently, Um, I guess you're not saying it. You're just reporting on the facts. Well, it was the same. Yeah, the same with when there was the mandate. Fair and balanced. When the mandate was based news on the Mind Virus show, we only report the facts. When the the mandate was active, the grocery stores were 95% masked. When the mandate expired in what was that May? 2021 here in Utah, mm. the grocery stores flipped to 95% unmasked. If you haven't seen episode 53, I hope that you'll all go take a look at the last graphic Jordan, that I nobody's posted. Jordan, nobody's seen it. It's, we're an audio program. When I say seen, I mean, if you haven't seen the podcast page <laughs> on mindvirus.show slash podcast slash episode 53 predictions review bonus DVD, if you haven't, go to the website mindvirus.show. DMD. DND. Not DVD. DVD? Did I say DVD? I don't know. Okay. I keep Probably interrupting did. your pitch. Well, you what? <laughs> I keep I... interrupting your pitch. Oh, I was, I, I thought maybe our... my levels were bad because I was yelling again. <laughs> to go to our I'll try website. to keep it, I'll try to keep an even level here. Go to the website. The, <laughs> I hope that you'll go look at the last graphic I posted, which is the stick figure, not stick figure drawings, but the line drawings of the prosecutors of the Kenosha trial. I, lo- I love that trial. so much. I laugh. It's so good. That makes me laugh every Did time. Did you ever see the because ones in That's this- what media is becoming. That's what, that's what media is becoming. You could replace the, you could replace the, uh, the sign there, and I probably will, 
I'll put it, it up on the website. Anything, I'm going right? to do it. It could say Omicron. Did you see the drawings in this style <coughs> that somebody did of Binger and Lunchbox was the nickname? <laughs> Binger and Lunchbox because he's the, the skinny guy and the fat guy. Yeah, Binger was the guy's name, the prosecutor in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and then his co-prosecutor. Uh, prosecutor, people, Lunchbox. I don't even remember his name, but people called him Lunchbox because he was overweight. Uh, <laughs> I think Jack Jack Posobiec coined that, but they made <laughs> they made drawings of them with this types of face in in the same style, and, the, uh-huh. and those are great too. These I love these drawings. They're yeah, so stupid. but the, but the open mouth pointing at the state line, <laughs> yeah. it just demonstrates everything that's going coming out of the media right now. Oh, oh, Donald God. Trump. Oh, yeah. January sixth. Oh, <laughs> state line. Oh, By Omicron. Uh, go to, speaking of January 6th, go to Revolver News. I'm talking to the listeners, not Oh, Jordan. not me? And look well, up, now I'm going to have to. You can, but look up Ray Epps. There's Ray, who is Ray Epps Part 1 and who is Ray Epps Part 2? It's, it's a really interesting read. Revolver News, meet Ray Epps Part 2. Yeah. I'll just, I'll link to that. All right. I think we've referenced Part 1 in a previous these, episode. These are the unindicted... Uh, People, the people that got away with the January sixth stuff. No, they're the people. Ray Epps is one. Explain who, it to me. Who? There's video of Ray Epps Friday night before. Oh yeah, this 6th. is the guy telling people January we're gonna 5th. have to we're gonna have to go in. We're gonna we're have to get go our hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. And then on the morning of, there's videos of him with saying, "Let's go," and he he helps get the barriers pushed down. The idea here is that this the, guy's an FBI informant. Or this asset. is yeah. This is one of those guys that the uh, Professor Waller. We've linked to his article many right. times. He says he saw these people organizing the crowd, people trying to, and and this guy looks like your grandpa. He's like he's like yeah. he's like one of the guys outside the he, outside the fourteen year old's Sunday school room saying, "Kids, come on in, come on in, everybody, he, come I on think in." He's, I think he's from Arizona, and I think he had a career in in politics or something ronald reagan the actor <laughs> right and he the 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 thing here isn't that there was the reason in the in the question that revolver looks at is why is this guy who's all over the internet in videos not being indicted or arrested because remember the fbi has put out repeated tweets and social media posts with turn your friends in with pictures of random people yeah who anybody turn this know guy anybody in. about this guy turn your buddy in turn your cousin in but not with him, not with Ray Epps, who it's very obvious that he's there. It's very obvious what he's doing, and yet he is a free man. Is it because he didn't say, because he only said he didn't do? He's a hypocrite? Uh, I think it's... <laughs> a hypocrites, I think an actor? I, yeah, but it's also because he was one of... He was working it, with the is FBI. Is it disclosed that he's taken money from the FBI? I don't know if he's taken money, but I think it was disclosed that he's worked with. He's them. worked with the FBI. So anyway, he's the, he's a the, government the, plant. The two clearly. articles are well informed and they're worth reading if if you're into the uh, cause Conspir- of the conspiracy theory, disinformation, and lies. The insurrection that was the worst attack on American soil since the Civil War. End of quote. Anyhow, should we should we change our our, our track are we di- here? Are we digressing? We got a few more listener comments to point out. Okay, let's let's do that, and then we'll Pepe move into Le, Pepe Le Pew, the first po- commenter. Someday, someday, like on KSL, 
someday it will be an honor to be the first commenter first, on the Mind Virus. I always like when podcast. people write first, but they're actually like eighth. <laughs> they first, did, they clicked it wrong. They had a slower internet connection or whatever. <laughs> they clicked late. To the pronunciator in chief, it's pronounced Juicy Smolliet. And he gives you a YouTube link. Did you watch yeah, that YouTube video? I, I didn't. I did not, but I'm going to look at it right now because I had heard people calling him Juicy. But Maybe you should play it on the air. How long is it? I don't know. It's a five-minute clip of Dave Chappelle. Just statistically, okay. that's at least 30 F words in five <laughs> okay, minutes. Okay, so we can't play that on the air. <laughs> but I will watch this. But I saw people online spelling it Juicy the way he does, and I thought that was just sort of like making fun of him. But maybe that is how it's really pronounced. How is it spelled? J-U-S-S-E, I think, or I-E. Okay. Jussie, Juicy, Juicy. I don't know. It shows that... I don't really care I've mostly how to been pronounce reading. his name because he doesn't... I've his, reverted to his reading. His name should be blotted out of right. the record. I, I saw a hilarious uh, meme that said, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Don't beat yourself up. Right. I think we posted... <laughs> did we, we post that? Did we post that here? I don't know. You send it to me. <laughs> I don't see it on the website, though. Maybe, maybe we'll post that. But uh, it was very funny. I'll make a note. But yeah, thanks for the tip, Pepe. Since I'm do all, doing all the homework for you guys, Pepe Le Pew also says, I'll be your producer, but you'll need to change the date and time. <laughs> and he's going to bring alcohol. Well, that, that might be worth changing the date and time for a little bit of uh, rum-based eggnog. Have I, you ever had that? Rum-based eggnog? Well, it's eggnog with rum in it. No. Apparently, and I know Pepe, he's, a, he's an active uh, stalwart uh, Mormon. Whatever and, that means. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means these days. Non-mask wearing stalwart. Uh, being from... Uh, the, Pepe here is the one who lived in a South American country yeah. during a coup, coup yeah. that we talked about recently. Yeah. I think he gets a pass on that. Sure. I think God okay. gives him a pass. It's eggnog. It's the holidays. It's it's a hey. Look, what's I think it, traditional. There's a, lot, there's a lot of people who have a- accidentally drank eggnog or alcohol, or maybe not accidentally. But I have heard that his mother-in-law is aghast. I was with a friend at one of those Benihana-style teppanyaki restaurants where they cook the steak and chicken mm-hmm. right there and do tricks and stuff and. We were at they the say, end of the table. They say the alcohol bakes out or boils well, out or whatever. Well, we were at the end of the table and couldn't quite hear what was going on. And the chef turns to my friend and my, he has a bottle in his hand, like a, like a red squirt type bottle. Mm-hmm. Like he would squirt uh, mustard out of Who had the, 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 the chef, chef did? And he points it at my friend who just kind of instinctively opens his mouth <laughs> and the guy just... And for like 30 seconds, he's just squirting sake into his mouth. <laughs> so this is your buddy. Yeah. And then finally, he realized what was going on. He's like, it's like it burns. It burns. Oh, if you've ever had the hard alcohol, yeah, it tastes like nail polish. Remember? Well, and sake is apparently very, very. It's like vodka. Bernie. Not Bernie Sanders or Bernie, but Burns. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm right. not, I personally, not having had alcohol until I was older, uh, I don't understand why people drink it. It's, I mean, I understand why people want to get drunk, but, sure. but it's a high price to pay, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, drinking a chemical factory product or whatever it tastes like, tastes like nail polish remover. Just a test to that. Here As I on drink the, Dr. Pepper. 
Speaking of chemicals, that's uh, by the way, this no that's longer, got zero sugar. That's only got aspartame in it. This no longer tastes like gasoline to which, you, which it did when I had when I had the the virus that cannot be named. Right, and I attest to multiple very personal uh, testimonials that ivermectin will bring your taste and smell back after one year. After over a year. A year of using ivermectin or after a year of not having proper taste and smell? One year, no proper taste and smell, three days of ivermectin. Wow. That, it's, a mirac- that is, it's a miracle drug. That is the dumbest, most unscientific thing. What is this, the Joe Rogan show? Well, only horses <laughs> take it. So if you want to be healthy as a horse, as they say. <laughs> By the way... Go listen to Joe Rogan's interview with Peter McCullough. McCullough? McCullough? Excellent stuff. That's all we'll say about that. Because I know everyone wants us to continue on the... Well, no, this is a, vari- reader, this is a variety show. This is a variety show, right? This is like, we're, we're giving you guys some variety. It's Christmas time. We've got to have some music, background Whit- music, Whitaker and some says, dancing uh, dancers, men and women. We're equal opportunity here. Whitaker Hopefully says, good-looking men and women. I hope this I Like Pockets t-shirt has pockets, two of them, to which you replied. I know. I, I do reply, by the way, yeah, to the comments. To, I need to do more of that. Bobby is... This is why it's my omniversity. <laughs> Uh, you can fake. Po- I, th- I was thinking we would draw. The- <laughs> I, th- I was thinking we would design a T-shirt that had a an illustrated pocket. Yeah, we could do that for Whitaker. Yeah, and then our our T-shirt theme suggester in chief, titled whose name is I play the radio. By the way, this guy also was a podcast contributor. He he's the one that came on. And did the podcast with me when we talked about music. He's he really was, an interesting guy. We need to get him yeah, on sometime okay. to talk about music. Yeah. Or whatever. But he likes to, it, it generally devolves into a discussion of like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Tool, things like that. Don't ever listen to the band Af- Tool. African American Sabbath. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm sorry for offending those of you out there that uh, didn't realize the Sabbath came from Africa. <laughs> Actually, it came from the Jews. He says. <laughs> And of course, they will have the mindvirus.show URL, and there should be a logo. <laughs> okay, so thank you, I Play the yeah, Radio, for that, stating are, the obvious. Those are some good advice. I'm not That's sure. Some good advice. Yeah, well, that is, yeah, that's good mar- marketing advice. <clears throat> I have some suggestions for a motto, slogan, oath, and law as well. <laughs> if you've grown up in the same culture we have, that's excitingly funny. <laughs> Be compared and do stupid things to signal your virtue daily. Very good. Very good there, buddy. Yeah. And he also says, T-shirt day. Other suggestions? The Atlantic, which is a magazine and also an ocean. That is funny. (laughs) Yeah, that was a funny moment in the podcast. Sometimes we do have an entertaining podcast. Why would anybody buy dice? <laughs> think of the possibilities. I am, and I don't want to. I think that was. I That's think a good that one. Was, that was you. You said, think of the possibilities. I said, I am, and I don't want to. I think we were talking about your new URL, which I registered. <laughs> it cost me money, guys. You, I'm spending money you, on the on you, the Mind Virus you, podcast listeners. Have you populated it yet? No, I've got to get a good picture of you. Oh boy. 
and then I'll if I could do a deep fake of you guys playing uh, Critical Role, that might be funny. I think <laughs> I would on. love to know. I would love to have. I would love to have some feedback from you listeners uh, as to what you thought of our little bonus. What would you call it? The, just the bonus montage of. Uh, our, our we call it a montage. Tangent. It was. Our, it was a. It was a tangent, but it was sort of a. A little, session, a little bit of a, a little bit of a LARP. It was a little bit of a LARP on a LARP. Sure. We live action role played playing D and D on the air for you. It was a LARP LARP. Whitaker has another comment, <laughs> but I think we should save it for our predictions episode because yeah. he makes a but prediction. I, I do want to know what y'all thought of the the D and D LARP because I thought that was kind it, of fun. It was, and, fun. <laughs> and then I replayed it multiple times just for fun, just for my own benefit. And then my wife walked in and listened to it. She actually laughed. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But she's a nice wife. You know, she has been married I'm to al- me for a long time. I'm also so curious to she's know. She's had to develop a sense of humor that's if you extensive. Guys, if, if you guys think I've got a career in Andrew Cuomo impersonating Bobby, rapper. I think, I think, Bobby, that you have a career in voice acting. Like, you should be one yeah. of these voice actors. Yeah. You do really well at it. You've got a wide range. I, I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can do one or t- I can do say lots that with of, say that with a Cuomo voice. I can do I actually lots of, come on, come on. I, come I can on. do lots of voices that end up becoming just one voice. I think if you practiced, you could do it. I did watch part of a YouTube video about how to how come to up voice with a hundred different voices without even doing accents or anything. Just I've with got a couple of and cadence and I've got a couple like of that. voices with uh, with a few accents that sometimes come and go. Like I've got the girl voice, Bobby, do it. Come on, Bobby. Do the do the Cuomo voice. Well, now that you're gonna pretend to be a girl, <laughs> see, <clears throat> you could totally do that. See? And then you've got the the, Andrew, dumb, the dummy Cuomo voice. Likes girls. You've got like the. D- <laughs> Why don't you come over here and let me lay see? a smacker on your cheek? I can't even do the Cuomo voice. Say, you got a grand, you, sit a you got closer. a grandparent in a nursing home I can murder, <laughs> and then we'll go on a date. We'll talk about it. Okay. Oh boy. Oh boy. He may be getting thrown under the bus right now by his uh, secret combination co compadres. Um, oh, the other thing we didn't talk about news wise was these emails from the director of the oh, NHS. Yeah. That, that Francis, deserves mention, mention. Francis Collins. That deserves a mention. Who is Dr. Fauci's boss? And there's emails that have been released or leaked or whatever. And he's on his way out. He's retiring, by the way, not Fauci. Fauci Damn. said he Fauci said oh, did I say that you on have the podcast? to Fauci said you're going to have to pull this career from my cold dead hands. <laughs> but um, I think I almost snorted that one. Collins, Collins is is retiring but anyway when the great <coughs> uh, sorry when the Great Barrington Declaration was published in October 2020 uh, Collins was in a panic and the Great Barrington Declaration was published by credentialed epidemiologists. No, 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 no. Fringe. <laughs> fringe epidemiologists from the fringe institutions of Oxford, Harvard, Harvard. and Stanford. <laughs> the fringe, yeah. Those are some fringe places. I think most of our readers are familiar with the GBD. Basically, the Great it, Barrington it was, Declaration. It was a statement that said, we need to. We need to shift our chill out. We need to shift our pandemic 
strategies to focus protection. And it got signed by, I signed it. It got signed by almost a million people. And they had two categories of- Like hundreds of thousands of medical professionals. Signatories. You could sign it as a supporter. That was me. Or you could sign it as a credentialed like MD or an epidemiologist. And they went through all these verification processes. Anyway, Francis Collins was emailed Fauci and some others to say, we've got to do a uh, quote, devastating published takedown, end of quote, of this. He called them fringe epidemiologists. It's remarkable that you have the head of all government science who is in charge of almost $42 billion of research funding, of which these fringe epidemiologists had received significant funding at their universities through the NIH. And he's calling them fringe because they don't, aren't going along with the decided narrative, basically. Anyway, that's worth bringing up, and you can do some more homework and research on that. But it's what you have is a government institution conspiring against credentialed, well-respected, published scientists who had an alternative point of view, which isn't that the heart and soul of science is to have debate and alternative points well, of view that you, and, and on Twitter, Jay, I'm going to say his name wrong, but one of the authors of the declaration, Jay, but, <laughs> I don't know. I got to look it up. I can't help you with that. One I'm going to look it up so I can at least read it. Well, um, while you're looking that up, the, uh, this is, uh, some people may call it a theory. It's an established fact. So it's a conspiracy fact. And uh, as Ezra Taft Benson explained, there is no conspiracy theory in the Book of Mormon. It was conspiracy fact. Right. So we've seen this before. And our whole point here, again, is to help everybody recognize that things are not as they seem. Jay the media casually lies to us. Jay Bhattacharya, he's the one. For, he's the professor from Stanford, and he he wrote a really nice thread. You want to talk about a pub, a, a devastating published takedown? He has a nice thread here on Twitter, where he asks the question. He's like, I don't know why Francis and Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci don't want to have a debate, a public discussion about this. He has, and he says he has his ideas, but anyway, we we will link to that Twitter thread, and you can you can read up on that. But these guys are not fringe, and the Great Barrington Declaration is not dangerous. That's a word that Collins used. You know, they came up with this phrase. They, as in Collins, Fauci, they said that the great. The Great Barrington Declaration was advocating a let it rip strategy, which those words, of course, never appear in the in the declaration, and nor nor is that the words idea. Like, words like careful, strategic, yeah, focused, focused, and the and the and it's nothing new. They're just they're reiterating the pandemic response that the world has always sort of fallen on, fallen back on, until 2020 when everything was turned upside down and inside out. Anyway, it's. Uh, it's a, good, uh, it's a good research topic. Go look at these emails. And you can find out the kind of propaganda, the kind of brain virus, mind virus that exists in, our, in what we always have thought of as our, our top health and science institutions, like the CDC, like the NIH, 
like the WHO. All right. Close quote. Well, there's another there's another article <laughs> that I'll link to just a, along these same lines. It's uh Well, let's see. I got to find the title of it so that I don't use the the wording that I see here in the URL. Uh there was an exposé here on the idea that it's it's the top story on Zero Hedge right now, or second to top. Effing scandalous. Sage modeler admits they don't model good outcomes for lockdown policymakers. So for the uninformed, this is out of the UK where a lot of the modeling has been done. Remember the Imperial College modeling the 2 million deaths right off the bat? Yeah, from, Professor Lockdown, they from, called him Neil Ferguson. Yeah, right off the bat, they were saying we're going to have 2 million deaths. And I think they're, you know, after three or four years, two, they're going to get to 2 million deaths and they're going to say they were right. Well, he said, they said 2 it was million fast. by July yeah. 2020. 2 million in the U.S. from March to July. Yeah. But uh, there, there was an interesting thread between some Twitter folks and one of these Lock, uh, modelers that they're asked for models by the policymakers and they give them models to match what the policymakers want. They don't ever comment on the probability of these models. So when if if you ask somebody for a worst case scenario, are we talking about the same kind of models that I hope we're talking about? <laughs> that may have been the very best use of the of the uh, Watu uh, Cuomo voice yet. <laughs> on the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about data models to show th- where, they, where they're projecting how many deaths and how many hospitalizations or whatever they're going to have. Oh, numbers. Forget it. Yeah, exactly. Forget about it. Forget about it. it. Uh, but yeah, th- this is, this is going to be linked to from the podcast. It's interesting because the guy just blatantly is like, well, no, we, we're not, we don't care about the likelihood. What we're doing is we're giving them, he essentially admits to giving the policymakers ammunition and propaganda. Right. Here's anything you need. Whatever you need to scare the public. Here, we, can, then, we can do a model for that and, and make it look official. Discuss that in, in what you're referring to. But then they have a little sleight of hand word trick where they call it a study. And it's not a study. A model is not a study. A model is, it can be anything. It's whatever you, you can make it say anything based on the input. Well, see, this guy, Fraser, Fraser Nelson, Nelson, Fraser or Fraser, F-A-R-F-R-A-S-E-R, Fraser, Fraser, is that Probably how you do Fraser. Fraser? He's telling the guy, I'm just reading the end of the Twitter thread, he says, thanks, this helps me understand. So you exclusively model bad outcomes that require restrictions and omit just as likely outcomes that would not require restrictions. He's talking about government restrictions. And then Graham Medley, the modeler, says, well, we generally model what we're asked to model. There's a dialogue in which policy teams discuss with the modelers what they need to inform their policy. Now, that's gov-speak. That's crap-speak for (laughs) tell us something that will help us get what we want done in government. Right. And so Fraser Nelson says, okay, clarifying. Okay, so you were asked to model bad Omicron outcomes and make no comment as to the probability. Then some guy interrupts his name's ratboy101203 he says this entire exchange has left me open mouthed to think of all the livelihoods at stake here mainly because they don't see the need to model accurate outcomes as it will not make the government take any action and he says effing scandalous and then graham madley says replying to ratboy and fraser nelson nelson and three others we model the scenarios that are useful to decisions (laughs) meaning 
Yeah. To useful to get allowing the government to make these decisions. Yeah, now that's the UK useful for the government. But now think about the, that's that's the UK though. That's not that's, here in America, but that applies it's to happening America. in the US. Or to the US, yeah. Now think about all the other types of models that are used. You know, climate change, economic. It's all a big okay, scam. Now I'm going to have to do a little bit of homework because uh, there was, and I'm making myself a note. That's why I paused. I pause a lot in the on the podcast. Do you do you do you guys find that I have a halting manner of speech? I kind of think I do. I'll that's halt why they for a second. That's why they listen to us at one point seven five speed, so that they can get rid of the, those breaks. Mm-hmm. There was a great video and article done by Glenn Greenwald, who was the guy that broke the Snowden revelations. If you're not aware, you should be aware. Or the guy that Snowden handpicked. To break the to re- break the news and yeah, to the go through him. Yeah, Snowden was super smart. Unfortunately, Julian Assange, man, that poor guy is going to get extradited to the United States if he lives that long. If he, this I, this I dude is is the well. he is the epitome, the prototype of the 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 battered political prisoner. This Julian Assange, his his crime was publishing evil information that showed how evil the American military establishment was. That's all he did. Yeah, he published them and uh, and he was they were leaked to him. He did not he didn't steal, steal them. them. But anyway, Greenwald did a great educational video and article about how casually the media is now lying. He, this was his his words that they casually lie and how easily they lie. He he does about an hour long expose on it, which I haven't watched, but I'll put it up for you guys to watch. And I want to watch the end of it, just showing how in a, like a five minute clip or a three minute clip, two of these media pundits on MSNBC. He says they 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 spewed four or five. Di- demonstrable lies where he's like if you just read this New York Times article and he I think he throws out New York Times because it's obviously statist and full Mm -hmm. of other lies too he's like but here's here's some things that the New York Times has that are accurate about the Assange case and one and the big lie was they were saying Assange is going to be extradited and it's good because he needs to be prosecuted for the things he stole right and and the New York Times article clearly out outlined the accusations and the charges the government has against him and they're very clear it was that he conspired to potentially help someone get more government documents or or gave them some suggestions about how they might get the documents to him he didn't steal anything he was just coordinating with somebody who had uh revelations to Share with the public things that the public would want to know. Right. That's the whole point of journalism. It's supposed the 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 they're supposed to be what we call the fourth estate, right? Mm-hmm. The journalists have often thought of themselves as a fourth branch of government. This idea that you've got the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, and that's in the wrong order. It should be legislative first, executive, and or judicial, and then executive. As far as how much power they have, but the idea is that the the, the media is supposed to keep them honest. And they venerate, they celebrate like Watergate all the time. Right. And we, we've, we've, had, we've had revelations many times in the last 20 years, especially in the last two years, come out that are orders of magnitude more important and far larger than the Watergate oh, stuff. Yeah. These emails from Collins are far more scandalous than Watergate. Far more. And then Fauci's earlier email dump, far more scandalous. I mean, look at the effect this coronavirus or this corona circus 
has had on the world. Right. We're, we're living in we're living in a false reality, a material world, uh, a material world. We're living in we're living in the matrix. <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll link to this uh, expose by Glenn Greenwald that was really good too. So, point is, and and we know our beloved listeners out there, <laughs> we know you're a little different. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening. <laughs> but this, figure out how you can carefully, positively help other people see that the media is casually and repetitively lying to them the the corporate media constantly constantly like we're we're not even in in we're nowhere near Kansas anymore it, it leaves me with a a serious lack of words i'm speechless okay on that note are we changing? It's beginning to look. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, changing such a, stories it's such or? a terrible. It's such a terrible thing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't hate to do this, but that's what you say. Is I hate, I hate to, to be the bearer of bad news. I hate to, but that's the Chris, That's Christmas twenty twenty one. That's where we're at. Yeah. Well, they want us to have a miserable Christmas, but I think a lot of us learned last a, year. That and that's a subject we could talk about. All the admonitions to only meet with the vaccinated. Right. For, ask your guests if they're vaccinated before you let them into your home. Yeah. Change your travel plans. Yeah. Test people in your garage before you let them in the house. You don't, that's not the way you treat family or friends or anyone. Have you ever done that to somebody that's had a common cold? Yeah. Well, yeah. Some people now. Some people have health problems. I look. I have cl- close yeah, but acquaintances health, that have health issues. Having health and they, problems before all of this was never uh, even people with health problems. You didn't avoid them. You didn't well, tell them they're not they welcome. Would, sometimes and they would nor say, "Did you say, oh, so and so who has health problems is coming over, so none of you else can come." None well, of the you way they the way over. those people handled it is they would say, "Hey, look, I'm." It's the flu season. Don't come over if you're feeling sick or whatever. Yeah. Some some older person that that's understandable. You you know where that idea is advocated in the Great Barrington Declaration. <laughs> yeah, and that's common sense for these folks. Some people some people who have respiratory issues have traditionally flown with a mask, right? Once the, in a while. Once in a while. Not much in the it's U.S. Not, it's not very common, but. If somebody's concerned about their own health, they'll take precautions and they'll avoid going out and they'll avoid contact and they'll ask you to be careful. Now we flipped it where it's everyone has to act as if they are immunocompromised. Right. And again, this is due to the big lie of being of, of asymptomatic people spreading the virus, healthy people spreading it. So we need to discriminate and segregate healthy people from other healthy people. So the, yeah. So, they have essentially tried to in, influence the public mind to think, for, for everyone to think like those, those people who have had health problems and, and care to that a level. Local, and that's, a, a local IHC doctor recently said that gathering can be dangerous, which is absurd. Well, it can be. You know, if you gather in a vat of muriatic yeah, acid, you, that's dangerous. <laughs> He meant just going to Christmas dinner. Well, yeah, but, but I can think of a lot of scenarios where it's dangerous to gather. Have you ever seen one of those movies where the mobsters get together with yeah. guns and then they <laughs> yeah. gather and then yeah. they shoot each other? Yeah. That's dangerous. Everybody dies. Yeah, that's true. I gathering, guess I stand corrected. Gathering can be dangerous if you're gathering in June of 1944 on the Normandy Beach. 
that's dangerous. <laughs> I recently watched the movie Saving Private Ryan. That's sure. an excellent. My my yeah. grandfather was at D Day. He he was he went in on D Day plus three, so he was fortunate enough not to have to see the fighting. But he made his grandsons watch the beginning of Saving Private Ryan because he said, "Look, that's what it looked like." Everyone, everyone who's contemplating this idea that we should be at war with China or that uh, Afghanistan is a good thing or getting into the Middle East was a good thing, they should be forced to watch the start of Saving Private Ryan to see what war does to young well, men, I think young they, men I think working they, for the bankers. I think they watch it and get excited, those warmongers. Well, they, every they're single, not going to be on the beach. Every single one of these kids, anybody that thinks that that's good, they need to, they need to ha- be watching Save it Private, Saving Private Ryan with the, the, uh, some voice in the back saying, the central bankers caused this. The central right. bankers caused this. The banking institutions fomented this. They created this. That's what needs to happen. Because if you watch it, I mean, I think just watching it without any understanding, because um, I, I disagree. I think if you see that, you're going to think twice about joining the military. Oh, right. I right. mean, literally, they're talking to people that are getting shot all around them. Well, there's a lot of people, people in, are in losing. our kind of age bracket who went to Afghanistan and Iraq who have come home and are, are, will never be the same. And I don't mean because they had their arm blown off. I mean because their minds have been destroyed. Yeah. And it's sad. It's really, really sad. War destroys. War is the re- end result of the mind war, the type of mind war we're involved in right now. Right. It results in that. That's why it's so on my mind. Well, uh, that's the Christmas that we have been dealt this year. <laughs> and uh, we do want to talk about Christmas, so I guess we should just jump right into it. Okay. What, uh, with that, with that in- ominous introduction. With that one-hour introduction. There was, a, there was an episode that we did a while back that... I think some of the listeners really appreciated. Some of them maybe maybe you didn't understand the importance of it, but it was entitled War. And I went on a little bit of a monologue discussion about my thoughts no. on, on what happened before the foundation of the world and how Mormon theology is a little bit... It's not Mormon theology. I ca- let's call it correlated Sunday school information. Cur- curriculum. curriculum on the plan of salvation is a little bit of a... Well, what's the word? The word is inaccurate. That, in simplified. my opinion, simplified but inaccurate in my opinion, because we take the story of the garden literally. Now, again, I'll reference Hugh Nibley's third chapter of the book, Enoch the Prophet. It's entitled Enoch as a Theodicy, where he says that the stories of the flood and the garden have done more damage to Christianity than anything else, because they're nursery tales and they get taken literally. Mm-hmm. I, I recommend you go read that. Nibley was an expert. He was super smart. The guy was not only that, he touched by God and had some understanding that we could all benefit from, especially if we read his stuff and, and read a little bit into between the lines and then read, read the sources if you have time for that. It's, uh, I know study is difficult and it requires a lot. It requires a lot of sacrifice and time and effort, but he had a lot of important things to say. And that was one of those things that was really important that the, that the, the story of the garden is a nursery tale. It's, it's, it's for small children. The main problem with that story is that it places the, 
the blame for the evil in this world on Eve, having partaken of the fruit. And that's just simply not the case. That's a metaphor about her having partaken of the fruit. She is not the cause of the fallen world, and Adam is not the cause of the fallen world. The cause of the fallen world was a rebellion in the heavens, and the people who caused it are evil. The cause of evil is evil. If evil did not exist, God would not exist because there would be no opposite state. Mm-hmm. That's, why he, that's why Father Lehi says in Second Nephi chapter 2 that there must needs be opposition in all things. And so if you can imagine, I'm just going to oversimplify it, forgive me here, but summarizing what we said in the war episode, I had quoted some non-canonical sources that fill in the gaps for us about Satan's attempt to co-opt the system of progression or the cosmos. That's, you, you've got to think about the earth and the creation, and you've got to think, it was does the earth exist? And this is something that's important in the age of climate change. Why does the earth exist? The reason for the earth and its existence and all the things herein is for mankind. It's not the other way around. And the eugenicists, the anti-human humans, the climate change promoters, they want to promote an agenda that, that tries to teach you that humans are bad and that you're killing the earth and And so therefore we should get rid of the humans and we should limit human activity. My point is that humanity is here for the purpose of being tested. And again, I'm going to refer you back to the episode on war. You're being tested to see if you're going to be loyal to Christ and the gods of light, or if you're going to be loyal to the usurpers, the rebellion, the evil ones that took over this, this particular creation. And so... There's a, there's a lot of different concepts there, but the point is that the creation is for you. The creation is to see if see what you're going to do. It's going to see how you're going to act. And I'm not advocating for us just polluting and defiling the creation. I'm advocating for responsibility, but stewardship. You, stewardship. But you need to understand that it's the only reason this earth is here is for you. Right, And if we don't figure it out, the earth will be, quote, utterly wasted at his coming, to use the scriptural language. I think people read that as in, like, wasted, like it will be ruined, like destroyed. I Also, it could mean wasted as in we wasted its purpose. We didn't use it and live on the earth the way we were meant to. That's the point. That's right. the point. This, there is a lot of energy that's gone into this creation. The cosmos or the system of the gods. If you'll go back to the King Follett discourse, which was Joseph Smith's April 7th, 1844 General Conference Address. It was one month after the King Follett sermon. Family members and other people who had heard his sermon at King Follett's uh, untimely death, he, he was uh, digging a well and some rocks fell on him and he died and he was a good guy and Joseph Smith gave a, dis- a discourse at his sermon about eternal progression, essentially, about mankind and, and the true nature of, of a person and our true heritage. And the family prevailed upon him and other people prevailed upon him to t- talk about this in general conference, and that's where the King Follett sermon that you find in the last section, section six of Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, which was edited and compiled by Joseph Fielding Smith, 
that's where you find this sermon. And it's often thought of as a funeral sermon, and it's not. I think this is of the utmost importance because most Latter-day Saints think we can just kind of brush it aside. (laughs) It is the basis of Mormonism, and it wasn't a funeral sermon. It was his... It was the very last thing Joseph told us right. in conference, the most important thing. And then he, probably the thing that got him killed. <laughs> it was too much truth for the people at the time. Well, in that, he says, he, he goes back to the beginning, and he says, in the very beginning, God, finding himself amongst the spirits and seeing that he was more intelligent, saw fit to institute laws whereby the others could progress and become like him. And gain light and advancement like him. That's and power. That's the whole thing. That's what the cosmos is. And all the stories we see about creation are metaphors using the visible world, the things we can see, the stars, the lights, the in the firmament, the earth, the the birds, the the plants, the birds, the the fowls, the fishes, all creeping things, the lions, the tigers. The bears, oh my, the horses, <laughs> all, all of these things. Did you ever sit in there and just think lions and yeah, tigers and every, bears? Oh my, everybody everyone has, to, has yeah. thought that. Yeah, everyone has to have thought that. All of these things. It's Wizard of Oz. <laughs> they, they, are, they are in that story as part of the metaphor for the system of progression that God and or the gods of light, however you want to think of it, instituted in the beginning so that others could progress to become like them. It's also, now, the, it's also what the usurpers have tried to steal. And it's, it's something that they have set up in Conti- this world. And today, they, right They've now. set up their own system of progression, which is a dark system, and it, it requires their you to— Their own loyalty tests. Right. It requires you to put the thumb on and dominate other people by force and kill people in order to get—you know, you sacrifice to them. We've talked about how the Holocaust uh, is— an interesting term for the the death and destruction of the Jews in uh, World War II because it means sacrifice by fire. It means a, it, it means a fiery sacrifice, and so why would they call it that? Academically, it's never talked about. Right. Well, the the dark entities want you to advance in their system, and the the entities of light are hoping that you will become light and advance in their system. That is the cosmos. That is eternal progression. And just bringing that up with people can be somewhat of a revelation. If you, if you go through the days of creation, you'll see that it's a progressive system. Light is separated from darkness. The heavens are separated from the earth. The, the firmaments are created. The, se- the eons, the, the worlds of progression, the different levels are created. The bodies are set in motion, and then the seeds are planted right after the land is separated from the sea. When you have the land, when you have a physicality, when you have a place, then you can plant the seeds, and people can grow up as tender plants, and then they can progress to sheep or fish or calves of the stall or sheep of the good shepherd, and then they can become men, true men, like Joseph, like Abraham, like Moses, the great ones, you know, and then they can become gods and sit down in the garden and rest. And so there's this, there's this layering of the system. Well, why, why am I starting at the beginning, Bobby? 
It's because ju- every time you have to start at the beginning. We're going to talk about the it's Christmas story. It's usually a story. pretty good place to start. <laughs> Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you teach about esoteric principles, you have to begin with the creation of the, of the cosmos. That's why we start with creation. In the beginning, God separates light from dark. The, 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 the first part of Genesis chapter 1 is very poetic, and I, uh, I really ought to read it rather than quote it. So, so forgive me while I pull it up right here really quickly. It's going to be fast. It's super poetic, but think of it in metaphorical terms. In the beginning, and I'm going to substitute a little bit from the King James language here, and this is definitely, as Joseph Smith explains in King Follett, it is definitely acceptable translation from the other texts. In the beginning, the gods organized the heaven and the earth. Now that's talking about our heaven and our earth, okay? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit, which is the word pneuma, meaning the breath or the wind of God, moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's amazing. If you really, if you really try, to, try to start to think about this, this is, a, this is a metaphor. There's a whole ton of stuff packed into just that, those first three verses. And it's intended for adults to think deeper than just, oh, this is how the sun was made. Or See, that doesn't make any sense. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light just, light just is, right? Light is the absence of darkness. You know, what, what does that really mean? Did, did he really create light? And we, you can, I think, get lost in a big mental loop trying to figure out the generation where gods began to be and all of that stuff. Recognize, come on, all you detractors, recognize that we're limited. The, the human mind is limited purposely. We are in Plato's cave. We are in the matrix. We're limited and we need to diligently seek experiences where God can expand our minds beyond this so that we also can say, look, I've seen things and experienced things that are not only unlawful for man to utter, but they cannot be said. They cannot be put into words because they're far greater than us. That's, where, that's the realm of the gods. Well, that system that the gods set up so that you and I and your family and your loved ones could all become greater and gain greater light and greater power and greater understanding and greater love, okay, greater peace, that came under attack from evil ones. And that was what caused this world. And we went through that in, the, in that discussion on war. It wasn't Eve. It wasn't Adam. Those metaphors are very important. I'm not trying to say don't, don't, can, you know, I'm not trying to tell you to throw out the garden story. There's incredible truths to be learned from those stories, but you need to understand what they are and why, they, why they're there and consider, you know, the difference between good and evil and the idea that our loving heavenly parents would not intentionally, without reason, 
allow this state to exist. The reason this state exists is so that we can prove our loyalty, so that we can be proven herewith to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, will command us to do or tell us to do. Not anybody else, just Jesus Christ. And we talked about that a lot. But that sets the stage for Christmas, the advent of the Lord in the flesh. Right. Because there's a war going on, and darkness had taken over the earth, and evil reigned supreme, and it, and it was running so far amok that at the time of Enoch, there had to be a great destruction in the form of the deluge, right? Whatever that was, like Nibley likes to say. This destruction. And then time passes, and we finally come to the meridian of time when the Lord himself comes down to reclaim the creation. Why did the Lord come to claim the creation? Why did it have to be the Lord? We, we've got hymns that say there was no other good enough to pay the price for sin. I, I do really chafe when people talk about paying the price for sin, and they, they talk in terms of the atonement. They'll, they'll <laughs> Boy, you're getting a lot of a window into Jordan Bruno's mind today. <laughs> Forgive me, Bobby. But I'm like unloading a lot of feelings here. Feelings. Um, feelings. <laughs> nothing more than feelings. <laughs> It, 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 it rubs me the wrong way when I hear people get up in fast and testimony meeting and they'll say, oh, I'm so thankful for the atonement that it covers this sin or that sin or the other. Like it's some sort of an insurance policy. Right. And Jesus has, he's the unlimited underwriter. He has a, a massive, un, infinite amount of blood with which he can pay for our sins. It's a, it's a little bit of a perversion on what the... The original term in English was the at one to at-one for the creation, to make, because see, if you read the Book of Mormon, you'll realize the, the authors say repeatedly, we are cut off from the presence of God. Hence, an at one is necessary, meaning it means we need to be brought back into connection with God. And so that's what the Lord did. And when, when he made it here, and, and of course, Christmas is to celebrate his birth, when he arrives on the scene, that's when we get all of this rejoicing, right? Because they knew. And, and there's a, so, so what I, the material that I sent you contemplating that we might talk about this today was intended to magnify the, the, excitement and the importance of the event. It's like right. they, they had greater knowledge than we want to let on about, than we, than we generally think of when we think of the Christmas story. Those who, those who saw it happen we are often of, depicted as unknowing. Yeah, we sort of gloss over the fact that, like, okay, shepherds came and wise men and as if they just happened to be nearby and were like, what's all this commotion? Like they, they were watching and, and they knew and were reading the signs of the times and knew that this was coming imminently. Right. And did you happen to look at the Greek Orthodox nativity icons that I, I sent yeah. you a link to uh, DuckDuckGo? Yeah. Now, so, so tell me what your first impression was of that stuff. Because this is interesting. We, some of the things we're going to talk about, if, you, if you've grown up in the Western Christian world, like in America, in, under Protestantism, under Mormonism, even Catholicism, some of this stuff sounds like it's just bat 
blank crazy. <laughs> it's like, where, where are you getting this from? Why would you say these things? You're, you're, you're destroying my Christmas because my grandmother, she, she happened to be half Greek, by the way, which is funny. She was a nativity scene addict. Yeah, as many grandmothers are. <laughs> like she would hide them around the house and she'd have the great grandkids and the grandkids try and find them. And I think we inherited some of her nativities. But she loved these nativities. And the nativity is so cool, right? Because you've got this soft Mary and Joseph and the baby and it's quiet and they're in a stable and there's a star overhead and everybody's quiet, even the animals, you know. And you can contemplate the birth, uh, and everybody, and everyone's filled with wonder, right? With wondering, ah, the wise men saw the star, and um, oh, holy night, right? We've got. I, I love the feelings of Christmas, I really do, and I think that wonder ought to be there for us. And I think there was wonder at the time, but I think the awe was a million times greater for these people because I think they saw and witnessed things that we don't commonly think about. But uh, what was your first impression of this Greek nativity icon? What are some of the things you see? Well, looking there? at the top results, you know, the front, the top row, uh-huh. a couple of things that stand out. One, it's a cave. Okay. So they, almost all of them have a cave, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like taken for granted that it happened in a cave, not in a stable. Right. 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 Um, art, the stylistic, those are all really, really colorful. Pretty cool. There's, it's got that. It's, Orthodox style. Right. Then you, yeah, you've got like the halo around. It's Mary, very icon, very iconographic. Uh, Actually, this one has halos around Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Well, yeah, there's a lot of different ones. We we uh, we definitely shy away from iconography, right? In in Mormonism, we we haven't right. delved much into iconography. We have in fact, an approved we ch- list of art that is <laughs> only allowed in our buildings. Right. Literally, and, it's a list. The. The thing is that back in the day, they, you know, in, Le- in Da Vinci's time, they could certainly paint very realistically, and, and some of this stuff comes from earlier. But the point was not necessarily to be realistic. The point was to put the symbols in that show who you're dealing with. And so Mary having a halo is important. She needs to have the biggest halo, and she needs to have that red shield or whatever around her. I'm laughing at this one. I think this is one of those shepherds. He's wearing a hairy shepherd coat. He's wearing coat. like, he looks like, like, they're just like, some of it is, it's not the kind of. It's uh, kind of comical. But it's, it's just, that was the, 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 the style of the time. Well, and it also looks kind of Catholic-y, right? Like if you, you've yeah. seen these Catholic shrines to Mary and they've got the heart or the, remember symbolism, guys. Symbolism is but u- I think, ultra important. I think one of the reasons, and, and, and if you want to talk about iconography and things that we shy away from in our culture, it's the veneration of Mary. We almost don't even acknowledge that she exists other than Christmas time and I'm, who she might have been. But I think that the artists and the traditions of these of this era and these these uh, you know, this story and this tradition, they understood maybe better or at least emphasized more who she was. Okay, and so I love that you're bringing that up because that's a good point. I like this one. It has who the baby Jesus is actually sitting up and has his arms out. He's blessing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, and a lot of these too are, and we'll we'll link to this on the on the page. But a lot of these are really cool, like tons of color, and who knows mm-hmm. if they they've probably been restored or people can get online and and you know fix them up. But they're really neat. So angels have wings 
because they fly into the heavens, okay? Mm-hmm. It, when I was a kid, I thought, how stupid are the Catholics that they think the angels have wings? We don't get <laughs> wings. You don't sit on a cloud. But then you learned about I, art. Well, no, I never did. Symbolism. I was like in my 40s before I realized that, oh, no, it's symbolic <laughs> of the heavens. It's a metaphor of the heavens. They're in the heavens. They have to have wings because they're in the heavens. You have to fly into the heavens. And the Egyptians would put birds' heads on their gods because they wanted to show that they flew like the birds. They could, they could ascend. <coughs> they went up. They, they, it gets me excited to think about this now. But before, it was like, oh, how stupid are these people, you know? <laughs> Symbolism is critical. In fact, Joseph Smith explained, I have to find the quote, that the Holy Ghost and God, when they're speaking to you, when they're revealing things to you, it's always in the abstract as if you were independent of your body, I believe is the way he put it. God reveals things in the abstract. Right. So it's not in, it's, it's in every, and it's also in every person's language. When, the, when he says in every language, kindred and tongue, or for every language, kindred and tongue, that's not necessarily English and French and Chinese. We, we, we've made a big deal about how the gospel is going to be spread to every clime and every nation, kindred and tongue and people. God speaks to you in your language. Like, there are billions of languages out there. So when you get right. it in the abstract, when you get a dream, when you get information from the heavens, it's going to be weird but it's going to be in your language that you can figure out. And it might be a voice, you know, it might be a vision. You might actually have face-to-face interaction. But my experience has been there's also a lot of symbolism. There's also a lot of abstract that comes to you. There is a LDS nativity painting that I really like. And it's by Brian... uh, That's very cool. Brian... uh, I got to just read it. Kershishnik. But I love Joseph in this painting. Look at... Look at Joseph. <laughs> well, that's that's appropriate. It is because you 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 mentioned this idea of how we have abandoned Mary, and we don't even really know who she is. <coughs> so I'm going to pose you the question. I threw a bunch of stuff at you. Before you do that, let me describe Joseph, okay? Because our really our readers or our listeners are going. What? Well, we're going to make sure that we put the yeah, we will painting up Joseph th- in this nativity scene. You've got dozens of angels. Flying in to the mobbing the scene into, into the into the scene, and they're pointing and they're they're talking, they're looking at each other, and Joseph and Mar- Mary's on the on like a cushion holding the baby. There's a couple of women kind of fawning over Mary, kind of midwife style, and then Joseph is sitting back. He's on his knees and he's got a hand on his face, like face palming, like what. <laughs> What, is what happening? have I gotten myself into, you know, as, as most new fathers feel. And so anyway, it's a cool painting. It's, yeah. and, it, and the real version of it is, is giant. It's a huge mural. It's, so anyway, we'll link to that. Well, okay, ma- back to what you, you know, saying. and this, this is good. We're going to run out of time here pretty soon, and it will be good to only scratch the surface. This is one where people really ought to do the research and study on their own and, and, and contemplate it. But there's going to be one big statement I'm going to make that will probably land Bobby Flood into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I'm used to being in trouble. Trouble's my brother's middle name. <laughs> and and that, is, that is this, the identity of Mary. Who is Mary? Wait, I throw a bunch of stuff at you, but, but who is Mary? Well, traditionally, or just the easy answer, everyone knows that Mary's the mother of Jesus. And that is correct. Right. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, in some of the material you sent over, I had a thought. Okay. You're probably right. I'm going to go ahead and get myself You in get trouble. yourself in trouble because that's the thought they don't want you to have. The thought I had was that perhaps Mary was it's, also an incarnate God. S. S. Yes. Perhaps she was an incarnate goddess, and perhaps she was the Lord's mother all the time. Okay, now we've said it. We're not going to be, ver- I guess we're not going to be any more clear than that. <laughs> but in 11th chapter of First Nephi, Nephi sp- sees the Spirit of the Lord in vision, right? He says, the angel of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, by the way, that's called a positive genitive, which means that's like the city of New York. You wouldn't think that the city owned New York. That means that is the that is the Lord. When it says the angel of the Lord, most often, there's a few instances I've found where it's not, but most often that's talking about the Lord himself. And in this case, the spirit of the Lord, that is the Lord himself. And uh, he says, this is worth reading almost in its entirety, but I'll paraphrase it a little bit. He says, uh, you're about to bear record of the Son of God. And it came to pass that the Spirit said to me, look, and I beheld a tree. It was the tree my father saw. The beauty was beyond all beauty. Uh, The whiteness exceeded the whiteness of driven snow. After I'd seen the tree, uh, I said to the Spirit, you've shown me a tree which is precious above all. And he says, what do you desire? And I say, I want to know the interpretation of it. And uh, he said, look. And what did he see? He beheld a virgin. She was exceedingly fair and white. And the heavens opened, and and an angel came down and stood before me and said, What do you see? And I said, I see a virgin, most beautiful and fair, (laughs) above all other virgins. And then he says, Knowest thou the condescension of God? I like Nevi's answer here. He says, I don't know the meaning of all things. And he's, but I do know that God loves his children. And the angel says, behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the son of God. Now there's a comma there and it does say after the manner of the flesh. But who would the father entrust his son to? And the other the other uh, material that I sent Bobby I'm I'm really appreciative that even in the short amount of time that we've spent on this that that was your thought about Mary because that is why she is so revered by the orthodoxies because she, the early Christians meaning the ones that were pre-apostate also knew who Mary was there is a document that should have made it into the canon that didn't, and it's called the Infancy Gospel of James, or the Proto-Evangelium mm-hmm. of James. Did you happen to read any of that? I saw the reference to it, but I didn't read any of it. It's not long. Uh, it sheds a lot of light on the issue, and the question is why? Why would we go and bust up the Christmas tradition that we've all got? Why would we care to look beyond it? And, and I'm not telling you you should go out and 
if you're listening to this podcast, please don't go out and talk about this in sacrament meeting or in gospel doctrine. Do what Mary did. Ponder these things in your heart. Okay? Be careful with this. But the point is we want to know, we want to be informed about who the Lord is and who our, who our heavenly parents are. We want to understand more about them because it will help us to know more about us. And so to, to know that Mary is far more than we have as the LDS or whoever, even Protestantism, even, even Catholicism and uh, the Orthodoxies, far more than, than we would have ever thought or have given well, her credit for is super important. Of, outside of the nativity, we don't really know much about her. We hear little bits about her here and there. Well, if you want to know about Mary, read, she, read the Proto-Evangelium. She shows up at the crucifixion. But other than that, we, just, we don't have a lot of insight. There's a lot of between-the-lines stuff we could get into. Sure. Mary, the mother, according to the record of James. Now, this is James, the brother of the Lord. It's a common misunderstanding in Mormonism that Mary was married to Joseph and that she had intercourse with Joseph, and hence Jesus had these brothers, and they were half-brothers. That is not the case the brothers were alive at the time of Christ's birth, and that's why you have the pre-gospel or the infancy gospel. It's called the infancy gospel, but proto-evangelium means the pre-good news or the before-good news, the, the, the pre-gospel. Gospel meaning good news or good message. So the good message before. Uh, the reason we have that is because James witnessed the birth, and he knew about Mary, who may have been his same age. Mary was born of goodly parents, and she was raised in the temple. Now, Margaret Barker, there's a, there's a good Protestant scholar named Margaret Barker that we've referenced before, and she's written a book entitled Christmas, the original story, which is worth, worth your time if you're into this sort of thing. But one thing she may not understand is that Mary was likely not raised in the temple of Herod or the, the, the second Judea, Jew, Jewish temple, the one that was rebuilt when the temple of Solomon was destroyed. Mary was probably raised in an Essene cave temple. Now, for the uninformed, the Essenes were Another term for them is the people of the land. They were a group of priests or a group of, of people who, led, led by fringe alternative priests that had tried to keep up the religion that was changed at the time of Lehi. Remember, Lehi had to leave Jerusalem for some very specific reasons, and they're not the reasons that, are, that you would think that you've find in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, is significantly corrupted by the people that came afterwards because they had to make excuses for why they got destroyed. The, Lehi had to leave Jerusalem for some very specific reasons, one of which was that they had changed the temple ordinances and they had taken the woman out, the Asherah, the tree. 
they had taken them out of the temple and they cut down the groves. It says it. It says it, and it says it celebrates it repeatedly in Kings and in Chronicles that the, these guys cut down the groves and they were good kings because of it. They gutted the temple. They changed their worship and they call it the Asherah. Well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> the book of Deuteronomy, if you read, I think we may have talked about this before. The book of Proverbs is very explicit that wisdom is a feminine thing. And it says in Proverbs chapter 3 and 8, I'm going to get these references wrong probably, but she is greater than fine rubies. You know, happy is the man that findeth wisdom. She is a tree of life. She is a tree of life. Remember, remember how uh, when Nephi is shown the woman, he's shown the tree. He's, or when he's shown the tree, he's shown the woman. The woman is associated with the tree. And in, in a lot of ancient cultures, the woman is always associated with the tree. In Egypt, you see, uh, if you look up Ishid tree, I-S-H-E-D, you'll see pictures of two people, Adam and Eve, or Atum and Usasit in Egypt, receiving fruit from a woman who's grown it out of a tree. She's associated with Holy Spirit. She's associated with um, fruit, right? right? Receiving this fruit. That's a theme too. We've uh, is alive and well in a lot of these movies we like to talk about. The woman, the divine, or the the wisdom woman. You know, I just watched the strangest movie the other day just for kicks because I was bored. Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the woman. He can't remember anything, and she comes back and helps him get his memory back. It's amazing. I <laughs> was like, rewatch it. I will. I watched it intentionally to avoid having to do any thinking. <laughs> and I was like, here it is. Well, here she is. She's right there, here. There is a. There, there, there is that permeating spirit or idea, and we've talked about, and we could debate again whether it's a free guy, the people who make these and write these stories if they know what they're doing or if it's just manifest it's really manifested well in truman show and we did a oh whole, yeah we did a whole episode on truman show so you could go back and listen to that again oh yeah but yeah it's in free guy it's in um, groundhog day groundhog day is another re- very good uh yeah. depiction of that yeah well the woman the woman has an incredibly important role incredibly important role guys and and we've we, there's it's definitely taboo in LDS circles to really even get into this, and so that's I'm I'm warning you: be really careful, be careful, and understand that you, if you're awakened to this, you personally ought to be thinking about it and trying to discover more about this subject. Well. I, 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 getting back, <laughs> going back from the tangent here, the woman is wisdom. The Deuteronomistic rabbis, the people that gutted the temple at the time of Josiah, right before Lehi had to leave, it's often called the cleansing of the temple. <laughs> they gutted the temple. They took, about, took out the worship of wisdom. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, they attribute to Moses this concept that wisdom— the law, the law shall be your wisdom and your understanding. So they replaced wisdom, spirit, the woman, with the law, the law of Moses. Now, if you're, if you're very careful, if you look at the Book of Mormon, I think the Book of Mormon bears this out. It says they followed the law of Moses, 
because it pointed to Christ. Deuteronomy is a book that that lists all the statutes and judgments, and it explains things like what you do with rebellious sons and how to settle disputes, uh, what to do with Sabbath breakers. You know, it's very, very much a, a punishment-oriented type of a thing, and a lot of it has nothing to do with Christ. You could, you can really stretch. You could really stretch and say, well, handling divorces. If we handled it, handled it in the the Christ-like way, then then that would point to Christ. You could totally stretch and do that. <clears throat> but I submit that <laughs> Deuteronomy, which means second law or copy of the law, really is just a, an extension or an addition to a clarification of how they wanted to enforce what's called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, the Ten Sayings, the Ten Good Ideas. And if you read the Book of Mormon, you find that Laman and Lemuel are the big proponents of the statutes and judgments. In chapter 17, they point out that we know the Jews were righteous. We know they're not destroyed because they followed the statutes and judgments of the law of Moses. Well, that, I argue, is good evidence that that's not part of the law of Moses, as understood by the Nephite priests. The parallels to our current day are staggering. Staggering is a good word. (laughs) And I don't just mean COVID and stuff, although the COVID is a good example, but zoom out, zoom out from that and ponder it in your heart. That's as far as I'll go, but staggering. Well, yeah. So if you're really careful with the Nephite record, you see that they mention a couple of times that they sacrificed animals according to the law of Moses. And we do know that the the Levitical sacrifices clearly blood sacrifices of lambs and Mm -hmm. calves being related to the constellations of Aries and Taurus, right? The animals. And by the way, that could have some relationship to the animals that show up in the, uh, in the nativity. Uh, anyway, those sacrifices of the sacrifices of the animals and the blood of those animals being pointing to the, the great sacrifice of the God, the sun God, the God who's brighter than the sun, the son of God who has healing in his wings, or actually it's, that's feminine too. That's healing in her wings, but it's translated wrong in Malachi. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's the, he's the son of the, the mother who has healing in her wings. The, that's all um, relevant and all of that does point to Christ, right? So I would surmise that the Nephite law of Moses consisted at least of the Levitical sacrifices and the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, because we know Abinadi goes through that big discussion with the priests of Noah, how he says, oh, what do, you, what do you teach the people? We teach the law of Moses. He's like, you teach the law of Moses? You don't even know the law of Moses, and you don't even follow the law of Moses. Here's the, here's the law of Moses. And at the end of his whole thing, right before they burn him at the stake, he says, look, if you teach the law of Moses, teach that it points to Christ. You know, so... All right, it's a type in it's, a shadow. It, it's, it's supposed to point to the... To the Lord, similitude, and and the Decalogue part itself is sort of the foundation of Western genteel society. And genteel is probably the wrong word, but peaceful society right. is based on these ideas that you shouldn't murder, don't bear false witness, don't, uh, I mean, don't commit adultery. That sort of wrecks the don't family structure. Don't hurt people and don't, don't hurt take people. their stuff. Yeah, don't take their stuff. You know, that's that that sort of libertarian phrase. <laughs> yeah, but. <clears throat> But it's clear that it's clear that the people who had eyes to see and ears to hear in the in the Old Testament narrative knew what they were looking for, 
And that's clear from the nativity story as well. I mean, I th- the shepherds, the wise men, they knew what they were pursuing, what they were seeing. It wasn't just, be- otherwise a-, a baby being born wouldn't have caused any kind of commotion, but they knew what they were looking for. Right, and if you'll read the Proto-Evangelium, that's interesting because it points out that Mary was raised in the temple. It points out that the birth occurred in a cave. And the, and the Proto-Evangelium is essentially the basis of this Greek Orthodox nativity that we've been looking at. And uh, it doesn't say this, but you can, you can infer this from the language in Luke if you, if you read the Greek differently. The manger is the horned edifice. It's what the word is. It, it, it's a dual meaning word. Uh, I find it kind of interesting that now the reason I bring that up is because a, uh, a, an Israelite altar has horns on it, and it is a horned edifice. It's not depicted that way in these Greek Orthodox versions, but in a lot of these depictions of the nativity, they show the Lord on an altar. Now, it kind of looks like maybe it's a stone manger, <laughs> but it's an altar, yeah, right? and it's got writing on it. And uh, Mar- This one, this one I'm looking at almost has, it has Mary almost up on the altar, too, like a big wooden... Right. She's pretty close. She's, she looks like she's on a mat. Like a tree stump. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's on a mat, though. That's an interesting, right. that's an interesting uh, thing. You could think of that as a mat or a rug, but it's more an aura. It's an aura. She's a, she's a being of great light, so she not only has a halo, she's got like a, a red or, or, or white <laughs> aura around her. And Jesus looks like he's, he's all wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he looks like he's about 12. <laughs> Just again, the well, art style. Did you, find the, did you find the one where it looks like he's wrapped like a mummy? I did see those, yeah. Because that's an, that's, an, that's an important uh, thing, because you can actually read the, the version in Luke. You can read it that, that they laid him on an altar, be, on the altar, because there was no room in the bridal chamber. The bridal chamber was their holiest of holies, and in an Essene temple, and probably the Temple of Solomon, which we have a—it <laughs> kind of bugs me now to see some of the reproductions of the Temple of Solomon, because— that was the temple of, of Zerubbabel, the second temple. It's a, it's a approximation. <laughs> it's not quite necessarily what the temple of Solomon was. And we all, there, there, there used to be a big model of it over at uh, Temple Square. Yeah, you know? it's, I remember it, that. It's probably not. I think a, it's still there. That, that's what the temple, that's what the second temple looked like, but that's not necessarily what the temple of Solomon looked like. Anyway, you just showed me one of the pictures with the mummy wrappings. The mummy wrappings are important because it says they, they laid him on the, she laid him on the altar because there was no room in the bridal chamber, and they, she wrapped him in mummy wrappings. Now, the mummy wrappings are important because that's the way you would install an Egyptian priest. Mm-hmm. And, and swaddling clothes are often discussed when we teach what swaddling clothes are, that they, they'd wrap them up. That's where you wrap up the baby tightly. It doesn't, I don't think swaddling clothes are strips of like bandage-like wrappings like we see here in these Greek Orthodox paintings, right? It's more, generally you'll see a couple of wraps, but here you see like, like he's in a big ace bandage or something. His head is wrapped. Yeah, his head is wrapped. Yeah. This one is called Adoration of the Magi. It has the Magi there with their gifts, which were all very symbolic Mm -hmm. as well. The the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm -hmm. The Magi are, are an interesting 
discussion also the I think it's the Proto Evangelium and some other some other works that reference that the star was in the east, not the Magi coming from the east, but that they saw the star right. in the east. So that puts uh, that puts the Magi coming from Arabia or from Egypt, perhaps. Have you ever seen or had real frankincense, like in its raw form? Uh, essential oil frankincense. Yeah. That's kind of cool stuff. Yeah. But is that what I, I don't have? I have really... some experience with it where I've I've actually. What is it? Is it like a? It's like a resin. Almost. It's a resin. Okay. And then it hardens. Myrrh is kind of like that. Yeah, myrrh is the same type of thing, and it has a real pungent smell. Frankincense does, and I've been in situations where they're burning a lot of it, and the whole room is mm-hmm. filled with it, and mm-hmm. that you can take that that resin where it kind of hardens. You can put it in a pan and just melt it on your stove. And really? It, yeah, and it's it's strong, hmm. but. Yeah, I uh, I have some experience that maybe off the recording I will talk to you about. Okay, I'd with, like to hear with about frankincense, that. but well, these, it's it's a and, and back then too, it was as valuable as as gold. It was highly highly coveted and valued. This uh, this podcast, our, I, I think my my hope here is not to try to teach everything about what actually happened because we don't actually know it's hard to really actually know what happened but to point out that it's significantly different and that you could go you can go and do some research on this you can read margaret barker's book well and also i think to point out that the incarnation of god which is the birth of the savior the birth of jesus is is the pivotal most important event in world history it's it's worth celebrating that and was pondering per, that was perhaps the biggest understatement ever made right. I mean, on you the can't, podcast you can't overstate it you can't you, you, like the importance of it that's why that's why i had to start with all the context about the war here here we have it was the victory in the war it ensured victory, it ensured in, the victory in the war it and was he came, he came like in D-Day. he sneaks in there there are texts that talk about him sneaking in unrecognized he comes in past the angels of the the warring angels of the cloud or the the air this is where the the watchers the fallen angels the ones that are running the show down here are disputing with each other he sneaks past them he comes down and he incarnates and the proto evangelium says there was a great light like the people there witnessed a great light like he almost like he arrived on the scene supernaturally. But no, Mary was pregnant. N- but, not almost. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah. <laughs> oh, my iPad d- just died. I'll have to look at these things on the phone. Well, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of material to discuss. First, uh, for example, um, the birth of Christ probably occurred around six or seven BC. There's some good scholarly work done on this subject by Jack Welch and John Hall in a book called Charting the New Testament. They point out in chart 8-4 that we know, we know it was Herod, right? That was the king. And that there are about 80 inscriptions dated to the Roman year 749. Now, the Roman dating system was based on what they called the founding of the city. That's AUC, I believe, is how that's um abbreviated and and we get bc and ad from a catholic scholar called dionysus 
exiguous, which means Dionysus the skinny. <laughs> he's the one that he's the one that did the research, and he dated Christ's birth to seven fifty three uh, in the Roman system, and then they started to call it year. Uh, they they started to reckon everything from what they thought year one was. So it was all based on the Roman system. Well, he didn't have access to all these inscriptions. And and the, it's funny because there's a lot of scholars, a lot of people, even LDS people will argue, well, was it AD1 or BC1? They, they think there's a little bit of wiggle room, but they won't. They're never willing to give it six years worth of wiggle room. And Jack Welch and John Hall here, they talk about well, no, we got a lot of inscriptions that say Herod died in 749, and the Romans were pretty good record keepers. And so that means that the, what they call the, the slaughter of the innocents, we know that occurred before Herod's death, mm-hmm. and that, that means that the Lord had to have been about two years old, and so that'd be 6 or 7 BC if Herod died right after the slaughter of the innocents. And they also make reference to the census of Augustus, which is something that the Romans tracked, and that occurred in about... He initiated the census in... Censuses in 28 B.C., in 8 B.C., and in 14 B.C. So, if... There was a pattern there. (laughs) (laughs) And that pattern is? Every seven years. Actually, it was 20 years from 28 to 8 BC and then seven years to 14 BC. Right. Or did I mishear you? Well, 28 to 8 BC is 20 years. I thought you said 20. Oh, I thought you said 28 to 21 to 14. No, it's 28 BC to 8 BC and then 8 BC to 14 BC. Okay. Sorry, 14 AD. Okay. So every. I said BC. Every. 20 years they were doing these. I said, I said, uh, I screwed, I'll that. Edit I screwed that I can up. just edit this out and make it sound smart. It will sound really smart. It was uh, 28 BC, then 8 BC, then 14 after. Yeah. Okay. I know Domine. I'm with you. Okay. So I screwed. Uh, you, your, your math is good. My speech was wrong. I'll often say black is white, white is black on accident, whatever. It's, I'm sorry if there be faults there, the faults of men. Definitely. Uh, Anyway, that if if the census if that census of eight BC was the one that's talked about in the scriptures, the taxing, mm-hmm. then that was because that's what was included. It says in Luke in King James, all the world was to be taxed. Uh, that was the census. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, these guys know what they're talking about. John Hall was the president of the uh, American Classics Association for right. for a few years. He's he's a farms researcher and, and from back done in the a lot day. Of great work. Welch, Dan Peterson, those guys. These, if if you've read any of that stuff, those guys are all peas in a pod. And right. and uh, so we're not talking about uh, Jordan Bruno pulling this out of his hat. Okay, <laughs> so I'm referencing this this great book. I wasn't char- thinking of you, you were getting it from your hat. This great book, charting the New Testament. Uh, John W. Welch and John F. Hall. They call him Jack Welch, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the, we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before too. That the the movies really dis, disfigure and d- they make it very difficult to, to have a good handle on what was happening at the time of Christ because they, a picture's worth a thousand words, so a movie's worth about a billion, maybe a trillion words, and they, they always portray events 
in a way that make you think that the that the Christ, the mother, and the disciples were these right above Neanderthal or something. They're living in like a burnt <laughs> right. out burnt out wreckage of of the Holy Land, right. cooking on open fires. Uh, the the somehow the disciples are running around in loincloths before the Lord talks to them, and they're fishing on these little skiffs. And so uh, John Hall and, and Jack Welch here do a really good job trying to show you, you know, that this is what was going on in the, in the Roman world at the time. Another thing they like to, the movies like to point out is, or like to try to make you think is that the Romans somehow crucified the Lord. No, it was the Jews. Sure. There was less than a cohort in all of Palestine. That's like less than 600 soldiers in all of Palestine at that time. And if there were guards, Roman soldiers there, which the record does say, they would have been there to keep order. And right. the, the, the Sanhedrin's temple guard would have been the, the band or the, the soldiers that, that put the Lord up and, and crucified him. And crucifixion was a Jewish thing. It was a Jewish thing long before it was a Roman thing. And that's another thing that's debated in scholarly circles or whatever. But the, the disciples, James and John and Peter and Andrew, were running a lucrative fishing operation. They probably had a fleet of fishing boats at Capernaum there on the, on the uh, Sea of Galilee. They were fishing for a, a carp, a delicacy that you get from carp that would, uh, you know, have cost a lot of money at the time. These, these were not uneducated people. And they, it's funny because sometimes the uh, Pharisees will ask, well, who are these podunks? How come they sound so educated? It's not... Right, it's because they were educated. They just weren't educated in the official schools through the through the aristocratic hierarchy of the Jews at the time. They had, they had been, and they did come from priestly families. That's why John the Beloved was able to stand in with Caiaphas and Annas and those guys at night, and also with Pilate. That's why we have that record is because he was from a priestly family. He was probably he probably had the right to run the Sanhedrin, but they'd run him out through political means. Their family had been run out in the generations prior. We don't, we don't know exactly, but there's a lot of material to show that these were not unsophisticated people. And the Lord wasn't unsophisticated. He probably traveled the region, probably traveled to the British Isles. There's legends of him having been in the British Isles. And anyway, we, we don't know very much. We, we get this limited view of what was going on. And so I, I do recommend charting the new testament it's mm-hmm. a good book for you for kids it's got all these great pictures and graphics and stuff and it's probably five dollars with shipping uh used on amazon you ought to have it in your library and another book you ought to have in your library is john hall's new testament witnesses of christ peter john james and paul and he goes through uh the context he tells you he he, he sets this up in a in a very academic way and then gets into some doctrinal things. But he, he tells you about Peter and who he is, and John the Beloved and who he is, and who James the Just, the brother of the Lord, not, not the brother of John, who died fairly soon after the Lord. The son the of son thunder. Of, the son of thunder, Zebedee. That's such a cool yeah. like nickname. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the 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 Boanergists. They uh John and James were the sons of thunder, and James, of course. It's always lumped in with Peter and John. It's always Peter, James, and John. And John Hall wants to disabuse you of this misunderstanding that it's really actually P. 
Peter and John that were the big influences, and then James, the brother of the Lord, who was bishop at Jerusalem. And he's the one that wrote the Mm Proto-Evangelium of James that we've been talking about that talks about the cave temple. It doesn't technically say temple, but there are other evidences that this is a cave temple. And he saw it happen, and he he talks about the shepherds, and poimen, or shepherd, in Greek is another term they had for their priests. So shepherds watching their flock, if we're all sheep of the good shepherd, shepherds watching their flock at night could have been people watching for the signs and watching, hoping for the Lord's advent. And those shepherds could easily have been people, you know? Sheep are people too. Sheep are sheeple. (laughs) It's now become a... (laughs) It's become a derogatory Pejorative, yeah. (laughs) Well, this... This has all been our way of saying Merry Christmas, and we could go on, especially Jordan here could go on. He's a little more read up on this stuff than I am, but it's been fascinating just in the short time that I've had to look at it. But And I think that's should, a good stopping point. But we, uh, we hope that you guys all have a great Christmas holiday, a great Christmas season that you have had and are having. Because we're all, you know, we're deep into it now. Today's Monday, December 20th, so we won't record again before Christmas. So again, Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, leave, leave a comment. We always, we're always begging for comments. Questions, and, uh, comments, whatever. Uh, Share you- with your friends. You know, you can give. You know, you need a last minute gift idea. You wrap up a link to the Mind Virus podcast and give it to your brother-in-law, your father-in-law, your uncle, your sister. If, if you're just looking for a gift for yourself this year, it's about 25 bucks on Amazon. Christmas, the original story by, my, by Margaret Barker. It's a little bit of an academic journey, okay? Sure. You got to be willing to go through some big words and get your, get your dictionary out. But she, she lays out a lot of this. And uh, surprisingly enough, on the cover is the Greek Orthodox icon. I didn't even see that before that we've been talking about where you've got the cave temple and Mary and Christ on the altar and stuff like that. So that's a good, a good place to start if you're interested in this type of material. And the Proto-Evangelium of James, or the Infancy Gospel of James, is uh, the other place to start. And that's an apocryphal work. It's not in the standard works. You're going to get laughed out of your gospel doctrine class if you're not careful. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's an important work. And, it, and it, I'm not, when, when we talk about these extra canonical sources, I'm not saying they're all accurate. It's just like any other scripture, like the Old Testament. Things have been modified over time. But read between the lines. And, Think, then, and then as... Jeez. <laughs> And then, and then, as we've both said, ponder these things in, in your, your heart. heart. Yeah, and, and, and pray about it. Pray to God. <coughs> pray to God for a greater understanding. And I hope that this line of discussion is helpful in that it brings you closer to them. I hope that it will bring you closer and, and, and aid in understanding. These gods, these goddesses, these entities love us so much that the mother herself would be participating and that the son would sacrifice his life. Not just, think what that means about sacrificing a life. Did he simply just die 
or did he live every moment for us? Right. That's the question, isn't it? And think about how much fun we have doing all the things that distract us and all the dopamine we've got to get (laughs) and all the, I mean, this is, this being, I'm not trying to make you guys feel bad because he know, he knew, they knew, they knew that this is, this is what, what happens in this type of world. We act like the jackasses in Pinocchio. That's just a fact. But God is God. The Son of God is God. And the Mother of God is God. They are godly. They deserve our our reverence, our respect. They deserve our attention. Right. And that's all I have to say. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks thanks for tuning in. And uh, again, we want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. And uh, we will and a Merry New Year. We will sign off again. Hey, get your predictions in on the comments. Come on, guys. I told everyone to get predictions in on episode 53, but just comment anywhere. Send if you have an email or if you know us behind the scenes, send us a text, please, whatever. Please, please make a, tradi- a can't just prediction. Be, I don't want to be the only one that's wrong about 2022. <laughs> I want you guys to participate and be wrong with us, but... No, it'll give us some more to talk about. And, and a lot of you guys who have comment, you have great insight and ideas, and we appreciate that. So again, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for a great year of the Mind Virus podcast. I didn't think we'd make it two episodes before we had some black dark suits knocking on our door, but <laughs> here we are a year later, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Jordan and I do, so we'll yes, continue thank you for on, listening. And we appreciate everything you guys do for us. Thanks for uh, listening and participating. And with that, we will sign off and we'll see you again next time.